The gospel lesson comes from the gospel according to John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 14, and you can find it on page 1070 of the Pew Bible. In this gospel lesson, Jesus, he is speaking with his disciples on the evening before his crucifixion, and he teaches them, and he reveals also to us the way to heaven. Please stand as you are able for the gospel from John chapter 14, beginning at verse 1, we read in Jesus' name. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Father, these are your words. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. Alleluia. Christ is risen. The night before Jesus died, he explained to his disciples why he must die. He had told his disciples already that he would be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. But they did not understand then what he was talking about, and they did not like it. And again, on this evening before Jesus' crucifixion, they struggled to understand what Jesus was talking about. It would eventually become clear to them when everything uh, after everything happened, but on the evening before his death, they only understood a little bit of what he said. Jesus told them that he was going to prepare a place for them in his father's house. His father's house, that's a way of talking about heaven. The Bible also most often refers to it as the new creation. It's the world that we will live in after this one. Jesus prepared a place for them and for all who trust in him when he died on the cross. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but the issue is, how do we get there? And that's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. He speaks of heaven as a house with many rooms, and he teaches us the way there. Now, when Jesus talks about heaven as his father's house, he doesn't mean that it's just some really big building floating up somewhere in the clouds. Heaven is not some place in the clouds. It's a whole new world. Uh, the phrase, his father's house, means God's entire property or his entire estate, everything that belongs 
to him. And we talk this way sometimes too. Maybe someone invites you over to their house, but summertime is coming, so you spend most of the time in the backyard. You're still at their house, even though you're not in the building. And even if their house is a big estate out in the country, you're still at their house. When Jesus speaks of his father's house, he means everything that belongs to his father. It's heaven. It's the new creation. It's the world that God's children will live in after this one. And Jesus says that he is going there to prepare a place for his disciples and for all who trust in him. So where is Jesus going? He was going to heaven. But the important part, the really important part, is how he got there. When Jesus talks about going to heaven, we might think that he's talking about his ascension, but he's not. We're coming up on Ascension Day in our church calendar. Ascension Day is 40 days after Easter, because after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples over the course of those 40 days before he ascended up into heaven. That is, he was lifted up in the clouds and the disciples, they saw him no longer. But that is not the event that Jesus is talking about in this passage. Because remember, this passage takes place on the evening before Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus knew that in three days he would rise from the dead. And he would have more time with his disciples during those 40 days before his ascension. Uh, And so Jesus, he's not talking about his ascension into heaven. Instead, he's talking about going to the Father the very next day. But why was Jesus going to the Father that day? And why did Jesus have to die first? Jesus went to his Father by way of the cross to present his blood as the atonement for our sins. This was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. Uh, It's similar to what the priests in the Old Testament would do on the Day of Atonement. Happened one day of the year. Uh, In Hebrew, and the Jews still use this term for it, Yom Kippur. If you ever hear hear that term, that means the Day of the Atonement. Uh, And so we're going to look at this just a little bit. We're going to hop in our way back Old Testament machine, because this goes back about 1,500 years before Jesus was crucified. During the Old Testament times, there was one day every year when one priest would go into the Holy of Holies. That was the really special part of the tabernacle. The tabernacle, uh, if you're not familiar with that, was like the temple, except it was a big tent instead of a stone building. And the Israelites, they used it for several hundred years before the, the stone temple was built. Well, once a year and only once a year, On the Day of Atonement, one priest would go into this very special room. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. You know that thing from Indiana Jones. It was real, yeah. Uh, But this Ark of the Covenant, it was like the throne of God. It's where God promised to dwell in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, above this Ark of the Covenant, so that he would dwell in the midst of his people. Uh, Outside the tabernacle, before going in, The priest, he would offer first a bull on that altar, and then he would take some of that blood and he would go into the tabernacle and into this special room, the Holy of Holies, and he would sprinkle that blood on the Ark of the Covenant. And then he would go back outside again and he would sacrifice a goat, and he would do the exact same thing with the blood of the goat. He would take some of it, carry it into the tabernacle and into this very special room, the Holy of Holies, and sprinkle some of it on the Ark of the Covenant. 
And this was the only day in the entire year that anyone would go into the Holy of Holies. These sacrifices were for the sins of the priest, that's what the bull was for, and then for the sins of the people, that's what the goat was for. But it was never really these sacrifices that took away sins. In reality, the sacrifices of bulls and goats, they looked forward to the sacrifice of Jesus, which does actually take away sins. Uh, The book of Hebrews, especially in chapters 8, 9, and 10, talks a lot about this. It talks about how the tabernacle on earth that God commanded the Israelites to make, it was a shadow of heaven. And it talks about how the priests were a shadow of Jesus, our great high priest. And it also talks about how the bulls and goats were a shadow of Jesus, who is our true sacrifice. In the true atonement, Jesus, he is actually both the victim and the priest. That is, he plays the part of the bulls and the goats by being killed, and he plays the part of the priest because he laid down his life willingly, and he took his own blood and presented it in heaven for for our atonement. And so apparently, and the book of Hebrews talks about this, apparently there is a holy of holies in heaven. And there's something something like the Ark of the Covenant in heaven because the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle that were on earth are copies of those things in heaven. It's not like God made things in heaven to match the things on earth, but the things in heaven were first, and then he commanded Moses to make these shadows or copies of things on earth. And Jesus entered into that heavenly place to prepare a place for us in heaven. And this is what Jesus was talking about when he said to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. Several other places in chapters 13, 14, and 16, Jesus tells his disciples that he is going to the Father. He's going there to prepare a place for us. It's not like the place needs to be constructed or decorated, though. We're talking about the God who speaks worlds into existence. He can just say the word and the place is completed. So Jesus' work to prepare a place for us was not up in heaven getting the place ready, but it was on earth that he did his work for us. Jesus prepared a place for us in heaven by purchasing for us the right to be there. He purchased that right with his holy and precious blood and with his innocent sufferings and death. Jesus went to the Father by way of the cross. It's it's a lot like what those priests in the Old Testament did with the sacrifices. Jesus sacrificed himself, and then he entered that place where no man had ever been allowed to go, and he presented his blood as the eternal sacrifice for the forgiveness of all sins. And this is what it means that Jesus went to his Father to prepare a place for us. Now, Jesus' disciples did not understand this, at least not yet. Eventually they would, but not yet. And so when Jesus said to them, you know the way to where I am going, Thomas said what they must have all been thinking, Lord, we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? They're legitimately confused. I mean, this would be like if your mom is walking out the house and she says, okay, I'm going now, you guys know the way. And you say, wait, wait, what? We don't even know where you're going. And that's how the disciples must have felt. Jesus told them that he is going to the Father. But they don't know where that is, so they don't think they know the way, but they do. 
They know the way even though they don't know that they know the way. Because the way is not a road, it is not a list of directions, it is not a set of GPS coordinates. It is a person. Jesus is the way, and that means that he brings us there. Sometimes we might think of Jesus as only an example, but that's a very incomplete way of thinking about him. Now, Jesus is certainly a very good example. If we could all be more like him, well, that would be pretty good. But we're going to fail. Since the fall into sin, no man can perfectly keep the law. Being a Christian does not merely mean that we follow Jesus, because that's really impossible to do, especially if we intend to follow him into heaven. Jesus went to heaven by way of the cross. He took his blood and presented it before the Father. You and I cannot do that, and even if we could, that blood wouldn't be worth anything. This is a road that we cannot follow Jesus on. But we do travel that road because Jesus is the way. The road is not the way. Jesus is the way. We do not follow him there, but Jesus promised that he will come again and will take us there. And so a Christian is not someone who merely follows Jesus more than anything. And above all, a Christian is someone who depends on Jesus. It's like little children who really like going to grandma and grandpa's house. And they really want to go there, but they don't know how to get there. They don't know the address, they don't know which roads to take, and they really don't know how to drive a car. And so they might say, we don't know the way, but they do know the way because for them the way is their mother or father and they do know them. And that's how it is with us and Jesus. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but how do we get there? Where exactly is it? I cannot tell you that. And what do you have to do in order to get there? Well, I can sort of tell you that. You must perfectly keep the law, but I can't tell you what all of that means. I can tell you what most of it means, but if perfection is the standard, and it is, we would need to perfectly understand every part of the law. That, in itself, is already impossible to do. And so we might think that we don't know the way. And besides not knowing all of the law perfectly, we have even less ability to keep it. So we might think that we don't know the way to heaven. We don't know where it is. We don't know how to get there. And even if we we did, we don't have the ability to get there. And that's the biggest problem. We might feel like Thomas, saying, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? But we do know the way. You do know the way. His name is Jesus, and you know him. He is your savior. He shed his blood for you. He prepared a place in heaven for you. He rose from the dead so that you will also rise, and he is coming again for you, so that where he is now, you will also be. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.